All right. How's it going? Um, yeah, we've been on this series for Lamentation for like the last five weeks. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like way more than that. <laughs> um, I know at least for us, we plan kind of months ahead. So we've been looking forward to the series for a while. And then once we're actually in it, I'm like, yo, this thing is tough. It's hard. Lamenting. Um, crying out to God. Lamentations, honestly, is a, it's a really tough book to read. It just seems really heavy. Uh, it's like we don't have enough of that in our lives. Something I learned about this book, though, while I was preparing for the sermon, is that the Lamentations is a book of poems, book of songs. There's an argument on who wrote it, maybe Jeremiah, maybe not, um, Especially this chapter, we're going to be in chapter three. There's an argument who wrote that as well. Whatever wrote this book, in my opinion, is like the Taylor Swift of the Bible. She's been hurt a lot. That's the one joke you'll get. (laughs) Um, But in the church, in the third chapter, finally, we get a little bit of hope. You know, verse 21. So all of this dire situation and all of this stuff is happening. Then verse 21 says, yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed for his compassions never fail. Finally, verse 32, though he brings grief, God will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Did you catch that? Five weeks we've been at this. But yet God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. I don't know about you, but as I'm reading through Lamentations, as I've been in this series, it just really seems like God is mean. But yet, this says God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. So what's up with that? Why? So I have a two-year-old son. His name is Juan. Here he is on a swing. Just my... It's the best sound on earth. (laughs) That man is so cute. The wonder, the joy. He smiles and laughs through everything. Everything. And I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Raising him is like a series of ones and tens. You guys know what I'm saying? Like you have those 10 moments where you're like, wow, that's amazing. And then those moments where the ones where it feels like if I just make it through today and not hit this man, it's good. (laughs) If I just make it through a day and he's still alive, it's good. Yesterday, we went to bed at 8 8 p.m. We went to sleep at 9.45 p.m. Whew. That was not a one. Ex- that was not a ten experience. But he's so happy. I want to protect him from every hardship, every heartbreak, every trial. I don't want him to experience any of the bad stuff that I went through. I mean, as parents, that's the thing, right? We want our kids to be to have a better life than us. But I'm so conflicted in that because I know that those moments that will truly build his character, his integrity, his heart are the lower moments of his life. So I don't know what I'm doing. 
you guys got any tips, please email me, joe.mappa at trigrace.org. But if we think about it, it's really true. Now, I'm 38. A lot of, I know I look young for my age. That's not, that's not true. Um, and I look at people in their tween, teens and their 20s, and I say, man, you don't know nothing. And I know for those of you in your 40s and 50s and 60s, you're looking at me, 38, no, you don't know nothing. But do you know why we do that? Why we say those things? I don't really think it's age. Because let's be honest, we all know some dumb old people. Like, how did you survive, bro? (laughs) How did this happen? Psychologist Carolyn Aldwin says, difficult times are a way people define themselves. This is why when we see athletes battle through injury, difficulty, adversity, we say, that dude's got heart. I didn't have a lot of physical talent. But I had heart when I was wrestling in high school. That's all I had. (laughs) But here's the thing with that. Heart, intelligence, insight, wisdom. All of that requires hardship. You can't get that without the other. And a good coach, a good mentor, a good father gives their pupil hardship for the building of their character. But the great ones... The great coaches, the great mentors, the great fathers, the great teachers walk with them through this hardship. So I left this area. I grew up here. We moved here from the Philippines in 1992. Yay, Philippines. And then I left this area at about 2011 because I had the opportunity to work at this big mega church in Southern California. It was called Saddleback Church. Thousands of people went there every weekend. Rick Warren, author of Purpose Driven Life, which at the time was the 10th most translated book in the world, was the pastor. So getting into this worship program was like, I made it. It's Brucey's time to shine. Rick Warren was going to see me lead worship and me and him are going to take over the world together. The problem was my boss at Saddleback didn't see a, a talent, <laughs> didn't see this number one draft pick that I thought I was. I mean, really, no one did. What she saw was an arrogant kid who didn't really care about anyone else but himself under the guise of ministering people to music. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to lead worship for like six months. What she did made me do is learn how to talk to people. She made me um, get to know people without making it awkward. (laughs) She made me train and lead other people to do the stuff on stage. And I hated it. I remember going into her office and giving this ultimatum about five months in. I said to her, you don't, this is a quote, you don't know what you have. That's real. I need to go on that stage. God brought me here for a reason, and you're not letting me fulfill that reason. Maybe I should leave. So she looks at me and says, okay. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's not what I was expecting. And she goes on and says, do you think God knew that I would be your boss? Like, yeah. Do you think God knew that this would be the plan I had? Yes. Do you think that God brought you here still? Well, yeah. So what's the problem? You could either stay and believe that God brought you here, or maybe you misread it and you could go home. But this is what you're doing. Yeah, I don't like that at all. (laughs) I hated that. But without breaking me and my pride down, I would have never found my true passion 
I never would have this career and this job that I have now. So thank you, Mila, for leading me and mentoring me so well and for not firing me in that meeting because I might have. Hindsight helps, right? That's why they say hindsight is 2020. It's clear. I know what you're thinking. That's not really a good example because how about people who do terrible things with, with selfish and cruel intentions? What happens when you're under a bad coach or a bad leader? So what I found interesting about this community, Grace Community Church, is that a lot of us have found a home here and that our paths are kind of the same. We've all had some sort of church trauma. Even our lead pastor, Pastor John, talks about his church trauma before he was planning this church. So after I went to Saddleback, I moved to Connecticut for a job. There were two churches And they both ended terribly for me and my family. One of those churches, we helped grow that worship team. There was eight people when I got there to 42. People on the team were growing spiritually and musically. And we were able to create a really, really great leadership team on top of that. One day, I was asked to step down as the worship leader, as the worship pastor, and take another position at a church. And after I prayed about it, like, I took a week. There's a monastery in Connecticut. I went there. After that, I realized it's not really what I wanted to do, so no hard feelings. I decided to just step down. But I love that church and that team so much, I wanted to take the next three to six months to train my next predecessor. I didn't want to just leave this church in a lurch. Hey, that rhymed. But that's not really what hurt me. What hurt me was during those last six months of transitioning out, as my team was asking my boss and my superiors what had happened, the reasons for my departure was less than true. There were questions on my personal character and my leadership that were just lies. And this was coming from the top. The one who I trusted to be above reproach. I continually kept getting thrown under the bus. I was virtually ignored in every room to like an elementary level. But listening to the advice of my mentors, I kept silent. But it made me question everything, my own purpose. And because of that situation, I have a heavy distrust for church leadership. Sorry, John. Sorry, Derek. I even thought about leaving Christianity. Because I'm like, is this what it is? I wondered, I dropped my entire life in D.C. to go to California to end up in Connecticut and be thrown away by the people that I trusted and genuinely loved and believed in at that time. I left my community, my family, my home so that I could find out I'm not good enough. Frankly, this is why I go to therapy. Shout out to Safe Harbor. Someone once told me that only messed up people go to therapy, and my reply to that is, yep. You know, the first step is knowing that you're messed up. So I was ready to go back home to D.C. until I got a phone call from a church in Boston. And while I was reluctant, I took that job, and I stayed there for five years, learned and grew a lot, which really led me to be a better person and hopefully a better leader. Still, even then, and even now, I have what I call hurt puppy syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? You're petting this puppy. Everything's going great. Then you touch its nose wrong and you're like, ah, just goes off. That's what happens to me. 
Everything goes great. Something happens. Someone says something that brings me right back to Connecticut. It happens a lot less now than before. Again, thank you, Safe Harbor. (laughs) So hindsight, 2020. Was it worth it? I don't know. Ah, I don't know. Was all that hurt, all that pain, all that emotional trauma for me worth it? I don't know. What I do know is that God was there through it. And a lot of people that God has put in my path since then, I've been able to help because of that experience. That experience has given me patience. That experience led me lead and serve others to make sure that I don't do that. That experience has given me empathy. And that's gold in ministry. And I'm not sure whether or not that was God's will. Actually, I know that wasn't God's will for me to be treated terribly. Just as much as I know that it's not God's will for you to be treated terribly. But we worship a God who turns what was made for evil or bad intentions into something greater. Because of our trauma, if we let God shine a light on it, we can be a light for others. Our wounds, your wounds, are where the light shines through. And God doesn't waste a hurt if we let him write the ending. God doesn't waste a tear, a frustration, any pain if we let him write that ending. What is that ending? The book of Revelations, the writer John gets a vision of what the end of days is going to be like. It's a scary book, but this is my favorite part. Revelation 5, verse 11 to 13. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits onto the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. My friends, our God is victorious in that end. Our God who has never left us, the God who has never failed us, the God who is in the Bible and is alive here today, the God who is walking with us through every trial and trauma, that God is victorious in the end. So please be encouraged and strengthened today because he's already won and they don't stand a chance. This is what this is down here. I know some of you guys or all of you have been wondering, like it doesn't make sense on its own. But if you see it all the way through, it goes from night to day. Darkness to light. Now, I may or may not have a little bit of an addiction when it comes to video games. I may or may not have over 650 video games in my home. But I also really love comic books. I'm what you call like a basic nerd. 
One of my favorite TV shows of all time. I have the 10, D, 10, bo- 10 season box, nine season box set. Uh, it's called Smallville. Anyone? Smallville? Uh, this, for nine seasons, chronicled the life of Superman before they called him a Superman. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I, like, watch something, I get, like, physical. I, I get up, I laugh, I cry, I, like, pursue a happiness clap if something's good. Like, it, it, it happens. I'm annoying in the movies. Sorry. And I'm watching these stories about Clark Kent. Kal-El, son of Jor-El, the last son of Krypton. About him being in these dire situations. And, I, and I'm like, I freak out. I even talk to the TV. Don't do it, Clark. Get out of there. Don't do it. But then I thought about it. Clark isn't Superman yet. Clark is just Clark. Clark hasn't met the love of his life in Lewis Lane. Happens in season four. Clark hasn't met his friend's best friend, Batman, even though they have different forms of crime fighting. Clark hasn't created the world's finest team called the Justice League. So I breathe a sigh of relief because I know what's going to happen. He's going to live. My friends, we know the end. Those who feel like our pain won't end. Those who feel like no one understands. Those who feel like you're all alone. Christ is alive and we'll be victorious in that end. So please breathe a sigh of relief because we know the end, even though we're experiencing that trauma now. And no one is spared from that trauma or hardship, not even Jesus. And honestly, that's a beautiful thing. You know why? Because Christ empathizes. Christ sees. Christ knows. He knows what it's like to be beaten and bruised. He knows what it's like to be a part of major injustice. He knows what it's like to have his best friend turn on him. He knows what it's like to be loved and then less than a week later be hated. He knows what it's like for life to get so bad that he has to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows and he sees and he sees you. He sees us. So what do we do? While we're in the thick of things. I think we need to remember the times that we have seen God pull through. And remember the blessings that he's given us in our life. Some people think when I say blessings, I think like something financial, like a big car or a job or some sort of burning bush moment. God saved my life. I saw an angel come down. Well, bam, I'm saved. James 1 verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything good that has ever happened in our life has come from God. And even though none of us is owed anything good, all of us have had something good happen. Even the breath that we breathe today is a gift from God. And a blessing on its own. The smile, the handshake you got this morning. Amazing taste of food. That's a blessing. Hearing my son laugh on the swing. That's a blessing. The problem is, we remember the bad way more than the good. There's a psychology professor in Stanford University. Um, Her name is Laura Karstensen. Uh, She says that we have a tendency to notice the negative more than the positive. And it's true. It's that bad smell, that dissonance that stands out in our life. But Psalm 77, verse 11 and 12 says, Remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. 
I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. So isn't that interesting? That you and I, we have a propensity to easily recall all the bad things in our life. It's like our, our, our day, 99% goes amazing, but that 1%, mm, that's in there. But the Bible tells us to be intentional and remember the deeds of the Lord. In the midst of our pain, we need to remember the Lord. A little less than a year ago, I, I encountered some more trauma. And it has infected every fiber of my being. Nearly every single day, I'm reminded of what I experienced. There are several days straight where I just don't want to get up out of bed because I know I'm going to be reminded of it again. There are days where I feel hopeless and nobody understands and I'm, I'm too far gone. Last Wednesday was like this for me. And the only way I've been able to survive, and it's, it's survive, <laughs> is to intentionally remember that God is good and the proof that he has been good in my life. This is why it's important that we all journal and write down to things in our lives. There's plenty of apps that help us do that, or you could go old school like me. It needs to be bright and obnoxiously yellow because I, I lose this, <laughs> and I need to be able to spot it wherever it is. You know? There are many psychology, psychological benefits of journaling, but two of them are, one, it's a cathartic release of emotion where no one will judge you except you in the future. And honestly, it helps you remember that life is a gift and that God is good. Pro tip, though, because I know that me, I used to be really, really apprehensive about being completely honest in my journal because I have this fear of some like postmortem embarrassment that someone's going to read it when I die and be like, what happened to you? <laughs> like there's this, like in my funeral, people always talk good things and stuff. And then suddenly they read my terrible thoughts like, whoa, I don't know about that guy. So I have a deal with one of my good friends that if he's alive when I die, he will burn all my journals. <laughs> and honestly, that gives me some peace of mind. Whether or not he does it, I obviously can't, you know, I mean, I can haunt him. Boogity boo, burn my journals. But like, you know, it's nothing I can do about it afterwards. But at least right now, it gives me peace of mind. So this week, guys, I challenge you. Take the last five to 10 minutes of your day and write 10 things that you're thankful for that happened that day. Do it for five days and then look back and remember that it wasn't all that bad. I've been doing that and it works. Remember, I said I was feeling really bad. I was in a bad shape on Wednesday. And then I journaled and I did my 10 things. And it made me feel so much better. So much better. Now, it doesn't make anything go away. But it does give us an amazing perspective and reminds us of the good things in the midst of our wounds. And the thing about wounds is that they heal, thank God. And he, but even though when they heal, the mark will still be there. It will always be there. And you may still be walking with a limp, but that's okay. Because when you look around you and realize we're all walking with a limp. But at least we are walking. 
So I want to invite the band to come up. We're going to sing one more song about God's goodness. But I want to take this moment right here to remember. There's a historical account of how Peter, Jesus' disciple, died. History says he got married. Um, They were both sent to be crucified for their beliefs in Jesus. Even more cruel, the Roman guards decided first to crucify Peter's wife in front of him. Throughout that entire ordeal, Peter was yelling to his wife. And all he said was three words over and over again. Three words. He said, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. I don't know about you, but as a husband, I would want to offer peace, comfort. And I would imagine Peter did too. And what did he say? He didn't say, I love you. He didn't say something trite like, baby, it's going to be okay. He didn't even cuss at the guards. I might have done that. But he said, remember the Lord. Some of you feel like your life just went a major left turn. Remember the Lord. Some of you are with me. You feel like you've been in it for what seems like forever. And that you don't even see the light at the end of that tunnel. Remember the Lord. Some of you just got out of it. Hallelujah. Remember the Lord. The last words that I say to my son whenever I tuck him in. Is I love you and remember the Lord. Because I want him to remember. Now we've used these walls differently in the last few or in the last month. We've put our cries our grievances, our angers, our prayers. Today, I want us to remember the Lord. So as the song is playing, as the music team leads us, write down something that God has done for you recently. Write down something that you are thankful for. Stick it on that wall and thank God for it. Thank God for his goodness, for his love for his protection, for his empathy. Let's remember the Lord together as we sing. So let's pray. Father, we remember you. We thank you because you've never forgotten about us. Give us the strength that we need to see you through our darkest moments, God. And we thank you. We thank you for your love, for your goodness. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.